This afternoon, we're going to consider what Scripture teaches and what we confess as it's summarized in Lord's Day 43 of the Catechism regarding the Ninth Commandment. To help us in this, we're going to read two passages from Scripture. The first comes from Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6, the verses 12 through 19. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers." So far, our first reading. The second one comes from the letter to the Romans, chapter 12. Twelve, verse 9 to the end of the chapter. Here we read as follows, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We now turn to Lord's Day 43 of the Catechism. And we read as follows. What is required in the Ninth Commandment? 
I must not give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor condemn or join in condemning anyone rashly and unheard. Rather, I must avoid all lying and deceit as the devil's own works under penalty of God's heavy wrath. In court and everywhere else, I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever made an offhand comment about someone and later regretted it? We can probably all think of times when we said something in the heat of the moment and then later realized it was out of line. Maybe it wasn't on purpose. We might not even have been in an argument. Maybe we just had one of those conversations that you sometimes have with people that don't really have a point to them and you get this aimless back and forth and then out comes some comment about someone. We've probably all said things that we regret at some point or other. Today we're dealing with what Scripture teaches us about the Ninth Commandment as we confess it, as it is summarized for us in the Catechism. And the Catechism says we are to love the truth. That's what Christians do. We love the truth. So, are we living up to that? And on one level, we would hope the answer would be yes. But we're also in a process of sanctification. Isn't that true? And sanctification means that you mature in your insight and your ability to see things. Sanctification is about growing to see nuance in life and in the circumstances in which you find yourself as well. And, and then, from that perspective, the black and white situations are really obvious. Scripture is very clear on lying, on perjury, and so on. There are lots of scriptural references given in the Catechism as well. If you're curious what the Catechism is based on, just look at the references underneath So we're not going to spend time this afternoon on those basic black and white things that should be obvious to us all. We want to get beyond the obvious. We love the law of God. We want to understand it more and more deeply. So as we mature as believers, as we mature as a church federation, how can we learn to obey the ninth commandment in its entirety? To obey the ninth commandment in its entirety, means that we learn to balance truth with our neighbor's honor. Now, sometimes people think truth is the most important thing of all. It matters more that you say something. It matters less how you say it. We might even think that there is a sense of virtue associated with the truth, a sense that nothing matters more than the truth. And so you get people who go to that last sentence in Lord's Day 43, 
I must love the truth, speak and confess it honestly. And they do that zealously. But Lord Zay 43 doesn't stop there, does it? It goes on to say, and do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. So are we as zealous about that second half of the sentence as we are about the first? And maybe it's, maybe we feel like it's supposed to be a choice, but that's actually what they call a false dichotomy. It's a false choice because if you understand the ninth commandment properly, then you realize it's not a choice between one or the other. It's both and. We're called to balance both. In fact, we can only ever keep the ninth commandment properly if we balance both. And that's also how we will approach this ninth commandment this afternoon by considering that we can only obey the ninth commandment when we keep truth and our neighbor's honor in equal balance. And we'll see that we may not promote truth at the expense of our neighbor's honor. We may also not promote our neighbor's honor at the expense of the truth. So, how are we to think about this? Well, one thing, key, one key point that we need to understand is that truth is never an abstract concept. Truth does not function on its own. Truth always functions in a relationship. That puts it in the context of the church. As Christians, we are church members. We are part of the body of Christ. That's what the church is. And so we cannot simply speak the truth with no regard for the context. Our context is that we have brothers and sisters in Christ. These are our neighbors, and our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are sometimes on both sides of an issue. Verse 10 of our reading from Romans said that we are to outdo one another in showing honor. Now that word honor is really interesting if you think about it. What is honor? Well, in the secular Greek thinking of that time, Honor had to do with a proper recognition of a person. The Greeks said, look, um, everybody has a place in society. Everybody is, uh, has a certain ranking, you could say. Some people occupy an important position in public life. Some people have a lot of wealth. Some people have an important social position. Some people are maybe recognized for their creative abilities and so on. Everybody has a certain ranking in public life, and there is honor that comes with that, and everybody needs to show each other the right kind of honor. Now, Paul is not trying to suggest to us that these secular Greek ideas are supposed to find their way back into the church. That's not his point. But the point is that all of those rankings were recognized by others, and people were respected because of that. That's what it means to honor someone. It means to respect and to acknowledge their rank. The word honor implies that we are to recognize each other in some way, and it's not a peripheral thought. <clears throat> we are to outdo one another in showing honor. So this is pretty central to the Christian life. Now, what is the greatest honor that a person could have? in the church, greater than any kind of social ranking. The greatest honor that we have is that we are created in the image of God. You remember, of course, from Lord's Day 3 that in the beginning God created man good and in his image, 
that is in true righteousness and in holiness. So to bear the image of God means to reflect His characteristics. That is the higher, highest honor anyone could have. And we know that from Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and you've crowned him with what? With glory and honor. And we lost that through the fall into sin. We lost our position. And so the gospel is that God, through Jesus Christ, restores that position. In Hebrews chapter 2, the writer quotes from the same psalm, Psalm 8, and he says, We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. That's Hebrews 2 verse 9. Jesus Christ died for sinners. The gospel calls us all to put our faith and our trust in him. And when we do that, God begins to restore us. He credits us with the righteousness and holiness of Christ through his blood. And then he begins to renew the image of Christ in us through his spirit. There's no human honor or ranking that we could possibly ever devise among each other that would be greater than that, greater than the honor that we have of being restored, of having the image of God restored in us. Consider the kindness and the grace of our Lord that he would do such a thing to people like us, that he would give us this honor. Let that sink in and think about that. So now we understand why we are to honor others, because remember, honor means the proper recognition of a person. So we honor our fellow believers because of their position. They bear the image of God. They belong to Christ just as much as we do. They have regained honor in Christ, and so when we honor them, we are honoring Christ because collectively the church is the body of Christ. When we speak to each other, we are speaking to members of the body of Christ. When we look at each other, we see people who are renewed in the image of Christ. Now, obviously, the ninth commandment applies to our interactions with all people, not just with believers. James 3 verses 9 through 10 reminds us we need to be consistent in our dealings with others, but because our fellow believers are being renewed in the image of Christ, we need to take extra special care in how we speak about them and how we speak to them. And only the gospel will let you do this. Only the gospel will let you see people in this way. So the ninth commandment is not just a prohibition. It should not only be seen in a purely negative sense. Properly understood, the ninth commandment reminds us of the gospel itself. So to break the ninth commandment is an assault on the gospel itself. When we break the ninth commandment, we create a situation in which our fellow believers are dishonored, and to dishonor a fellow believer is to dishonor God. Our reading from the book of Proverbs shows us how easily this happens. It sketches for us a worthless person. Literally, it says that this worthless person is a Belial. That's what the Greek or the Hebrew word is, Belial. And you might think, well, Belial, that sounds vaguely familiar. If it sounds vaguely familiar, it's because the word is later applied to Satan in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 15. Paul says, what fellowship does Christ have with Belial? 
So this worthless person who is sketched for us here in Proverbs chapter 6 is somebody who behaves in a way that is satanic. He or she does not respect the position that God has given us as fellow believers and the honor that is required to go with that. Now, when you read this list, and I'm looking at this list right now, Proverbs 6, when you read this list, you look at it, um, it seems to be confusing, doesn't it? I mean, what, what, how are you supposed to visualize this? It says, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. That part makes sense. So crooked speech would be the sort of thing that Lord's Day 43 talks about. Twisting, giving false testimony, twisting words, gossiping, slandering, etc. That's crooked speech. That, that part makes sense. But, but look at this. He winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger. What, what does that mean? Well, if it's any comfort, scholars have a hard time deciphering that as well. But one thing is clear. This person is communicating to others in a way that is meant to be hidden, and that's the point. This person is... It's, it's interesting that all of these things that he does here are, are all nonverbal forms of communication. He, he winks with his eyes, or maybe you could translate that, that he narrows his eyes, he signals with his feet, he points with his finger... He's communicating and he's not communicating transparently. He's passing along secrets, little messages to other people. He doesn't love the truth. He doesn't speak and confess it honestly. He's hinting at things. He's implying things. He's manipulative. He's controlling. He does not do what he can to defend and promote his neighbor's honor and reputation. And because he doesn't really recognize the body of Christ, he is... Well, he, because he's ultimately not motivated by God's glory, he does not really recognize the body of Christ either. So, this worthless person does not see his behavior as a problem. We are to be motivated by each other's honor for Christ's sake and not to undermine the body of Christ with our speech or our behavior. And if you look at at Proverbs 6 again, verse 19, it builds up the sixth thing that the Lord hates, the seven that are an abomination to Him is a, a literary uh, way of, of introducing this, of building up to something. And then in verse 19, at the, at the top of the pile, so to speak, is one who sells discord among brothers. That's an abomination on par with shedding innocent blood. And to us, we tend to see a distinction there. One is much worse than the other, but to God, both are an abomination. And there are consequences that come with these abominations. Verse 15 says that such a person will be broken in a moment beyond healing. Now, this sketch presents for us an extreme example, but people always fall on a spectrum, don't they? It's, uh, again, there's nuance in life. It's not... It's not always only black and white. There's a spectrum. And so it's possible for us to exhibit some of this behavior without being completely characterized by it. Our passage warns us. It says, stay away completely from all of this. We cannot ignore our neighbor's honor without dishonoring God. So what measures can we do to protect our neighbor? What can we do to honor our neighbor? How do we make sure that we don't promote the truth if that's even what it is at the expense of our neighbor's honor. 
Well, there are four main questions to keep in mind here. First of all, we need to consider our motivation. It's always best to not speak about our neighbor at all if we can help it. Proverbs 10 verse 19 warns us that when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. So when words are many, transgression is not lacking. The, the less words you speak, the less risk you run. There's a risk that comes with speaking about your neighbor, but if you're going to speak about him or her at all, then do so in a way that defends and promotes your neighbor's honor and reputation. So the first question to ask ourselves is, what is my motivation in speaking at all? Before a word even comes out of my mouth. Second question, do I have all the facts? A fact is not an opinion that someone shared with you. A fact is something that you know personally to be indisputably true. And from that perspective, there are actually not that many facts to be had. We often think that we have a fact when what we really have is a perspective on something. And often it's a one-sided perspective. This was something that became apparent during the time that COVID was in the news. Sounds funny, doesn't it? It was so big at that time, you remember? And now a few years later, we've moved on to other things. We got Ukraine and now the war in Israel and how many people still think about COVID. But if you think back to what that was like, it was a very confusing time. There were many divergent opinions on all sorts of matters, whether medical or social. It was difficult to know what was true and what was not. And in that kind of a situation, it's easy to pick sides and to hurl information at each other. But much of that information was actually perspectives gathered from people that we didn't even know. For the most part, we'd never spoken to these people. We had no relationship with them. We had no way of knowing what they included and what they left out. We didn't know what they were like in the rest of their life. We didn't share a community with them. Maybe they were right, maybe they were not. That's not the point right now. It's not about COVID or about any of those things. The point is that there was information from people that we didn't even know and that that divided people who had a relationship with each other. It divided people who were church members, people who were family members, people who struggled with honoring each other because they were working with opposing perceptions. So if we learned nothing else during this time, at least we should have learned to be less confident in our perceived knowledge of the facts in general. We don't always have all the facts. And even if we do, we are not in the best position to assess these facts. And that goes for any situation. The third question to consider is, to whom am I saying this? And here's where Matthew 18 comes into the picture, of course. If we are going to say anything critical about our neighbor, we had better make sure that we have addressed it with our neighbor first. And if someone else is saying things to a third party that really should have been said to the person in question first, then we still have an obligation. As the Catechism puts it, we have an obligation to do what I can to defend and promote my neighbor's honor and reputation. And that's hard because maybe you hear something shocking about someone else and you don't want to sound like you're defending that, whatever it might be. But we're not called to excuse what our neighbor may or may not have done, but we may need to gently inquire if the speaker has ever raised this issue with the person that he or she is talking about. And the fourth question to consider is, what am I trying to accomplish with what I am about to say? 
a lot of what we say about others would fall by the wayside if we were honest in answering this question. See, so many of our conversations have no point to them. So many of our comments have no real purpose. Sometimes we say things to others just to vent or to blow off steam. Maybe we're irritated where it's a gut-level response. Maybe we haven't thought about it at all. Maybe we're one of these people that is forever talking before they think. Scripture has things to say about that too, by the way. Maybe we're just spreading words around like some people dig holes. Kids, boys and girls, have you ever been to the beach and your brother or sister starts to dig a hole right beside you and they don't look where they're throwing their sand and they throw it all over the place and it ends up in your face and on your toys? That is so annoying, isn't it? It is so annoying when people do that. And you know what? Sometimes grown-ups are like that too and... Not only grown-ups, sometimes people in general are like that, and they throw out all of these words without thinking, and they land all over the place, spreading words without thinking. And now maybe we think this only applies in specific situations. So you can have people who would be very careful about upholding an individual neighbor's honor or reputation. They're very careful when they speak about individuals, but when it comes to organizations in general, They feel free to say all sorts of things. They make all kinds of comments about consistory, about the office bearers in general, about the various boards on which other congregation members serve. But consistory and these boards and organizations are made up of who? Of your neighbors. Anything in general that you say about these people is a transgression of the ninth commandment if it doesn't defend and promote their honor, and reputation. Verse 15 of our reading from Romans says, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You can't do that if you only see people in terms of the organizations in which they serve. So that whole way of thinking for us needs to change. It's not just organizations or consistories that we're talking about, but the individuals that are in them. The Lord calls us to keep the ninth commandment We can only obey the ninth commandment when we keep truth and our neighbor's honor in equal balance. We've seen that we may not promote the truth at the expense of our neighbor's honor, and now we'll see that we also may not promote our neighbor's honor at the expense of the truth. We've spent some time talking about honoring our fellow believers. We saw that they have regained honor in Christ, so we owe that recognition to them. And when we honor them, we are honoring Christ because the church collectively is the body of Christ. But there is such a thing as giving someone false honor, and that is not motivated by the desire to honor Christ or His church, but it comes from a desire to avoid conflict. So you pretend everything is fine when it's not. Nobody likes conflict, right? As Christians, we should not be people who love conflict. We should not be people who love conflict. I am a man of peace, but when I speak of peace, they are for war, says the psalmist. But we should be able to call a spade a spade. We should be able to confront sin when we see it. And we should be willing to have other people do the same to us. After all, our Lord Jesus Christ died because of our sins. He died because of the truth. He died because he subjected himself to God's assessment over our lives. 
Think about the words of Lord's Day 23 here. It says, I have grievously sinned against all of God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and I'm still inclined to all evil. That is God's truth. That is God's verdict over our lives. And Lord's Day 23 says that your conscience, if it still functions, will confirm that. But then it also goes on to say, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. In Him, we are reconciled to God, and there is nothing greater that could ever happen to us except for that. And so as church members, it motivates us to uncover the truth about our sins. We don't need to be afraid when people come to speak to us. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to flee from our sins. And it motivates us to confront sin in others as well. Instead of hiding sin or gossiping about it, we, we learn to deal with it. And church discipline can be a part of this as well. If a person is living in persistent sin, that person is not honoring Christ. That person is not honoring the body of Christ. And so then the process of confronting this person and, if necessary, removing this person from the body of Christ sometimes needs to begin. But here's something to think about. This whole process of church discipline has been set up to balance the truth and our neighbor's honor as evenly as possible. Consistory doesn't even get to mention the person's name in public until after it has received concurring advice from classes. And that concurring advice is not always easy to obtain. Brothers in classes can sometimes ask critical questions about how something has unfolded. There is a real collective desire to preserve their neighbor's honor and reputation. But it can also come to a point where the truth has to become public. But that process is very carefully managed, and that's the point. So we can learn from, from that whole um, process when we disagree with others. To honor our neighbor does not mean we always agree with him or her. It does not mean we always avoid conflict. But if we're going to have a conflict, let it be about the issue, not about the person. There's an expression from sports, right? Play the ball, not the man. In other words, don't see the person as a representation of an issue or a particular way of thinking, thinking and then attack that person, but instead stick to the issue. And it's, it's hard, but we all have a responsibility to make sure if an issue is discussed between people, the ninth commandment is honored. And we can only obey the ninth commandment when we keep truth and our neighbor's honor in equal balance. So if you're in a conversation and you're feeling uncomfortable at the things that are being said, that feeling of discomfort, that's probably your conscience speaking. Sometimes we don't speak up because we're afraid that we're out of line. But you don't need to make a judgment on the conversation itself. You don't even need to have all of the facts. All you need to say is that this conversation is making you feel uncomfortable. That's a fact, right? No one can dispute the fact that you feel uncomfortable. No one can argue with that. You could say something like, you're afraid this conversation will become unbalanced if we continue. Or you can even phrase it as a question. You can ask, so what's your point in telling me this? Sometimes people share the strangest things about others, and it's a very legitimate question to ask, what's your point? What are you getting at? You're not shutting them down. You're giving them the opportunity to speak further 
but to also think about what they're saying. That's a very Christian thing to do. Sometimes that reminder is all that the person needs. So the nature of our relationship with God is expressed in the way that we deal with our neighbor, whether that's the person speaking or the person spoken about. Spoken about. That can be complicated sometimes, but the beauty is it's a constant process of growth, and that's encouraging because we've all failed at some point. We've all sinned against the ninth commandment, but our relationship with others is not marked by that failure, and our place in the body of Christ is not marked by that failure because remember what honor is. It's an honor that we all share, the honor that we have as people who are restored in Christ cleansed through His blood, and continually renewed through His Spirit. And we get to see that happen, not just in ourselves, but in each other. We're seeing the image of God being renewed in each other as we learn to keep the ninth commandment together. Amen.